I'm going to invite you to take a seat and to grab your Bible or your Bible app and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is our text today. If you don't have a Bible with you or an app on your device, that's fine. Grab one of the Bibles in the seats around you. Turn to page 1043 and you will find our text for the day. And as always, uh, and especially if you're a guest with us and you don't have a Bible and you want one, then please take one of these with you. We want you to have the Word of God and read the Word of God because we know if you do that, then God will change your life. Hey, while you're finding Luke 19 and getting settled, let me just tell you about something I'm excited about. Uh, on March the 3rd, we are having a golf tournament for Calvary Christian Academy. Calvary Christian Academy is a, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, and, and we have 240 students, three years old through eighth grade, that we are, have the opportunity to lead to that life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so it is one of the, the dynamic ministries here at Calvary. So if, uh, if you want to help support that ministry of life change to those kids, then uh, we're going to invite you. To, how many of you play golf? I see your hand. Go ahead and confess. It's a good thing. I'm not saying you play golf. Well, I'm just saying you play golf. So what I want you to do is get a team and come out and sign up for the tournament. You can get information about it at the Connection Center and, uh, and, and you know, serve Jesus, play golf. It, it, it's really a great combination. Uh, I'm all for it. If you don't play golf and you still want to support the kids and, and maybe you don't, uh, you know, do the tax credit thing because you don't pay state taxes here, then we have a gala that night. Uh, there's information about that. It's after the Saturday night service uh, and it's just a way of saying, hey, I want to support the school, support the kids and have a lot of fun doing that. Uh, this is, a, like I said, a great ministry and, and God has blessed us and blessed our school and so I just want to encourage you to be a part. And, and if I have to play golf to serve God, then I'm all in, okay? Just going to say, it's one of those sacrifices I'm willing to make. So uh, I want to start off today with just uh, playing a, a, a game show type thing. You ever seen those game shows where they have to finish the song? You know, they start playing it and you've got to fill in the next few words. I'm going to see if we can do that right now. So some of you are going to know this, some of you are not, that's okay. Uh, but it goes like this. So you guys, I'm going to stop and you guys finish the song, okay? Zacchaeus was a... <laughs> okay, they got it. Hey, a lot of you got it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Uh, how many of you did not know that song at all? Lots of hands went up. You know what that means? That means that you did not grow up going to old-fashioned vacation Bible school. Okay, old-fashioned vacation Bible school. I'm talking about the kind with the store-bought cheap cookies and watered-down Kool-Aid and we didn't do much fun stuff at all, but we learned songs about Zacchaeus. Uh, and, uh, and so if you didn't grow up in that way, it's not a problem because that, that song was a lot of fun, but it taught us some really weird things. Because, uh, you know, nowadays we have really cool vacation Bible school. I can't believe what kids get to do now. We sponsor this thing called Adventure for the City here at Calvary. Kids got rock climbing walls and cool music. And I'm like, where was that? I mean, seriously. Anyway, so... Uh, so an entire generation that grew up going to old school VBS, you know, grew up thinking that the most important factor in Zacchaeus' life was his stature. Zacchaeus, you know him? Yeah, he's the wee little man. Climb trees, you know. And, you know, he's a short guy with a tree fetish. And, and so, and, and if you ask people about Zacchaeus, what, that's what they know about Zacchaeus. And, and here's the thing. Don't you hate it when people like pigeonhole you and label you because of like one thing you did in your life. You know, like it might have been 30, 40 years ago and your friends still bring it up. Hey, remember when you were stupid and you did that? 
You know, and that label just kind of hangs on you and you're like, I, my life is more than that. That doesn't define my entire life. So today I want us to look past Zacchaeus' uh, height, <laughs> maybe over his height, and, uh, and examine his story of labels and life change. Labels and life change. Luke chapter 19. If you've read this story many times, just read it again, looking at the, the labels and life change. If you've never read this story, it is an amazing story. Incredible story. Uh, Luke 19, beginning of verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Did you notice the labels Describing Zacchaeus in this, uh, in this account. Uh, first of all, verse 2, he is called a chief tax collector and rich. Labels. Chief tax collector and rich. Now, by the way, a tax collector in that day and age was not an honorable profession. In fact, uh, usually people refer to tax collectors with murderers and thieves. That's how esteemed it was. In fact, the, the, the people of that day considered tax collectors to be traitors to the nation of Israel. Because they were collaborating with Rome, and they were collecting taxes from the, the Jews, and they were passing them on to the Romans. And of course, tax collectors were known to be unethical, because whatever they didn't give the Romans, they got to keep. And so that's how he became wealthy. So he's a man who is hated because of his profession, because of the choices he's made, and he's a man who's wealthy. Verse 3, we get the wee little man stuff. He's, he's small in stature. And because he was short, he wanted to see Jesus, and he couldn't see over the crowd. And some of you might have gone, why didn't he just go get in the front of the crowd? Two reasons. One, he's hated by the people, and secondly, he's short. Can you imagine standing in a crowd of people, and people hate you? And they're like, oh, excuse me. Oh, sorry about your nose there. I didn't see you there, Zacchaeus. You're such a good guy. No, he would have gotten, it was dangerous for him to be in the crowd. He couldn't see over the crowd. So he went and he climbed a tree. In, in verse 7, we see that he's labeled a sinner. A sinner. They labeled him a sinner. Who are they? They, they are the religious elite. They're the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the people who live their life studying Scripture and trying, according to their understanding, to please God. And they labeled Zacchaeus a sinner. And they were you know, horrified that Jesus was hanging out with sinners and undesirables and unacceptable people in a righteous society. Um, I, I'll just confess, I'd rather hang out with real people over preachers too. Uh, 
you know, we get to go to a lot of these conferences and things and lots of preachers, and I, I can only handle them so much, so I'd rather hang out with you guys. <clears throat> Not saying you're sinners, but you are. So, uh, <clears throat> and then in verse 9, Jesus labels Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. This man, too, is a son of Abraham. And this is huge because uh, tax collectors were not even welcome in the synagogues. So if they wanted to go and worship God, they couldn't even go do it with other Jews because they were not welcome. They literally would keep them out of the synagogues and say, you can't come here. And Jesus stands up and says, this man, too, is part of the family. He's part of the people of faith. He's part of us. Uh, so the labels, all through the story, we see labels. And then did you notice the life change? Because this is one of the most dramatic stories of life change in the Gospels. You have this guy who is a greedy, traitorous tax collector. And, and in the day that Jesus is saying, and there's time compressed in the story. So hours have gone by. He's been hanging out with Jesus. And he stands up in verse 8 and says, half my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody of anything, I'm going to pay back fourfold. You talk about life change. Here's a guy who had made his living extorting people and taking money and, and giving it to Rome uh, and, and then keeping the rest of it and got incredibly wealthy. And he says, everything I have, half of it, I'm giving to the poor. Jesus didn't say, hey, you need to do this if you're going to be okay. He just gets up and does it unprompted, demonstrating a, a changed heart. And, and then the whole payback of fourfold he, he doesn't have to do that. Uh, okay, just, just so you know, the law at that time, he was completely inside the law. So legally, he was okay. He hadn't broken the law. But even if you're convicted of stealing from somebody in that day and age, the only time you had to pay back fourfold was when it was like armed robbery and assault. In other words, if you beat somebody and stole from them and got caught, you had to pay back fourfold. If you just stole from somebody and got caught, you had to pay back double. And, and if you confess to the crime, instead of getting caught, you only had to pay back what you stole plus 20%. He hadn't even done any crime, you know, legally. And, and even if he had, he was confessing. So all he owed was what he took plus 20%. And he says, no, I'll pay back fourfold. His actions were evidence of life change. He, he repented and demonstrated because he had been a greedy man and now he is practicing generosity. Now, some of you might say, was he just trying to buy his salvation? Was he trying to like, oh, I'll impress Jesus and I'll give a bunch of money so maybe I'll get included? No. Jesus was there. You guys realize that, right? He's in the house with Zacchaeus. He's in that place. I don't know if you guys realize this, but Jesus is, you know, God in the flesh. He knows motives. See, I don't know your motives. You don't know my motives. We can't see each other's hearts, but God can see your heart. God knows your motives. He knows my motives. And, and, and here's the thing. He knew Zacchaeus' motives as well. So if Zacchaeus had been trying to buy salvation, Jesus would have rebuked him right there. You know, Scripture several times tells the stories of people who tried to buy influence in the church, tried to buy God's gift of the Holy Spirit, and they were rebuked. But Jesus validates Zacchaeus. So we know his repentance is real. He's doing this out of gratitude and out of belief that Jesus is the Messiah. He's demonstrating a changed life because we all know that actions speak louder than... Yeah, we know that. Actions speak louder than words. 
Here at Calvary, we talk about life change constantly. I mean, it's part of our mission to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. So it's our passion, it's our focus, and, and, and we talk about life change because talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. You can say anything you want about yourself, and, and, and uh, let me just be honest, we're not impressed by words. We're not impressed by resumes. We're not impressed by how much knowledge you have. Uh, you know what we're honestly impressed by? Actions. Obedience. Love demonstrated for, for people. Those who are willing to serve and, and, and get their hands dirty in ministry and, and caring for people. In other words, we're impressed by actions that demonstrate that Jesus has changed your life. You see, Zacchaeus has a story of labels and life change. Let's talk about our story. Because our identity is in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus is the one and only Son of God and Savior of the world, and you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins and was raised from the dead, and you have made a commitment to follow Jesus with your life, then your identity is in Jesus. It is inextricably bound to the Son of God and the Savior of the world. At least that's what Scripture says. How about the Apostle John? John 1, uh, verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not born uh, of blood, uh, or the will of flesh, or the will of man, but born of God. Our identity became children of God. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ. You've died. You've, when you confess Jesus as Lord, you're confessing that, hey, my old life is dead and I am a new creation. I'm a new person. That's the picture of baptism, by the way. Baptism is that declaration to the world that, you, that Jesus has changed your life. And when we baptize people, you know what we do? We lay them down in the water, which is a picture of death and burial. And then we bring them out of the water, because we actually do that. Uh, and, and because we actually don't want to kill them. But we, we bring them up, and that is a picture of a new life, a resurrected life, that you're a different person now because Jesus Christ has changed you. And our identity is in Jesus our lives are hidden with him. So understand, your identity is not in your past. It's not in your failures. It's not in your mistakes. It's not in your rebellion. Your identity is not in your pain or your disabilities or your weaknesses or your frailties. Your identity is not in your success, your fame, your fortune, your accomplishments. When we confess Jesus as Lord, our life becomes inextricably bound with our Savior and Jesus redefines who we are. So let me ask you a question. What defines you? What defines you? And I know right now you all know the church answer is Jesus, right? So if I come out there and with the microphone and say what defines you, you'd all know the exact correct answer to give. Jesus. 
It's a church answer. We can all get the answer right. But again, words don't define us. Actions define us. So, honestly, right now in your life, what's defining you? Because if you want to be free, you need to be honest about this so that you can say, hey, I want Jesus to define me. So, what defines you? Is it God's love that defines you? Or is it your works that define you? Is it God's love or is it the things that you do for God? So, uh, what is, what is more important to you on the inside? That you are loved by God or the things you do for God? Because a lot of us, it, it, we want to be, you know, we're focused on being a good person, a moral person, honest, a good citizen. We want to be a good uh, husband or wife or a parent, a friend. We, we want to be a good worker and serve our country and serve our community. And those are the things that drive us and define us. Or is it God's love that defines you? Can you agree with the psalmist who in Psalm 139 said, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Can you agree with the Apostle John when he says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, do you understand that, that God loves you? And that defines you rather than the things you do for God. Or are you busy still trying to do things to get God to love you, to get God to affirm you, to get God to applaud you and like you? Because I'm telling you right now, there's not a thing you can do to make God love you more than he does at this moment. There's also not anything you can do that will cause him to love you less than he does at this moment. God loves you completely, and he wants you to experience his love. He wants his love to define your life so that you are not trying desperately to earn the favor of God because God already has given you his favor. See, when you grasp that truth, it is life-changing. And instead of trying to serve out of obligation and duty and, and, and fear, you start serving God out of joy and gratitude and thanksgiving because he has loved you and he is loving you right now. So does God's love define you? What defines you? Does God's kingdom define you? Or are you defined by your position and your title and your wealth? Because Jesus told us we can't serve two masters. We're going to love the one and hate the other. We're going to cling to one, despise the other. You can't serve God and riches. So which kingdom are you focused on building? Yours or Jesus? Do you get more joy from being the master of your world or a servant in God's kingdom? Are you driven to succeed in business or do you want to make an eternal difference? What makes you happier? The applause and accolades of men or the pleasure of Christ? You see, a lot of us are building castles on the foundation of sand. And God invites us to make an eternal difference in this world. What defines you? See, Jesus said... Uh, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures that are secure that nothing can touch. And then he said this, where your treasure is, 
there's where your heart's going to be. What defines you? Is it God's love? Is it God's kingdom? Is it God's truth? Or is it people's labels? You know, we've all been labeled, and a lot of them hurt, right? We've all been labeled. Maybe, maybe you were labeled short and fat. I was. Actually, I still am, okay? So just, just for the record, uh, my brothers started calling me short and fat because I am the shortest and fattest one in my family. And before some of you start going, oh, but pastor, you're not that fat. Uh, <laughs> had someone tell me that last night after the service. I went, thank you. You know, as long as the pants fit, I'm happy. But, uh, but in my family, I am cursed by the fact that I have these brothers who are all tall and skinny, and they don't have to try. And, and, uh, and now that they're getting older and, and a little bit less skinny, I'm kind of like, yeah, join me in the fat club. And uh, first rule about fat club is we don't talk about fat club. So uh, the, uh, anyway, but maybe your label's short and fat. And by the way, I don't care anymore because uh, they're morons. But... Uh, not really. They're just mean. But uh, we're all, we've all been labeled. So I don't know what labels hurt you or what stuck, but, you know, maybe you were labeled short and fat. Maybe you're called tall and skinny. Maybe someone called you ugly or stupid or failure or a loser. Maybe the labels for you were immoral or unethical or dishonest. Maybe you were called thief or liar or cheat or angry. Maybe you were called lazy or felon or criminal or drunk or addict. You know God labels you? And if we listen to Jesus, we know what label God uses. Lost. Lost. And he sent Jesus to find you and me. Right? Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so when he identifies you as lost, he did something about it, and he sent Jesus into this world to suffer and die for your sins and my sins. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been found. Jesus found you, and he changed your life, and he brought you into his family. And so the truth is you are loved and valued and wanted by God. The truth is that you are treasured and embraced and adopted by God. Sons and daughters of the living God. The truth is that God sacrificed everything for you so that you could be with him. You are a child of God. You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You've been gifted by God and entrusted with service and called to make an eternal difference in this world. Does the truth of God define you? Are you rejecting the labels and saying, hey, you know what? God has loved me. God has created me. God has called me. And I am his. My identity is in him and in his love, in his kingdom and his truth. So today, honestly, are you lost or are you a child of God? Because if you're not yet a child of God, then today Jesus wants you to be found. He wants you to be found and he wants you to take hold of his love and he wants you to invite him to change your life because he can do it. If you don't believe me, just ask Zacchaeus or Reuben and Joanna because life change stories are true in scripture and they're true today. So many people are trapped by false labels. I mean, maybe they were true for a moment, 
But Jesus invites you to a new life and a new identity in him. Are you ready to take it? Well, so what defines you? And if you are a follower of Jesus, got to ask you this question. How do you identify people? How do you identify people? How do you define and label people? Do, do you focus on the differences? Is it us and them? Is it, you know, do uh, you label them based on their, you know, color, their race, their lifestyle, their politics, their socioeconomic status? Or maybe you're labeling, focusing on attributes. You know, do you identify people and define people as, you know, attractive or ugly to you, rich or poor, hardworking or lazy, tall or short? Or, like Jesus, are you focusing on their spiritual condition? When you look at people, do you see them as lost or found? Do you see them as, as followers of Jesus Christ and not yet followers of Jesus Christ? Do you see them as, as people who know the love of God and people who need to know the love of God? Because that's how Jesus sees us. That's how he sees the world, and he sent us who know the love of God to take it to people who need to know the love of God. That's our mission, leading people to that life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's what I know. We can't love people if we're labeling people. You say, but pastor, I've got convictions. I've got theological convictions. I've got political convictions. I've got lifestyle convictions. You know, these are important to me. What am I supposed to do with them? No, I've got convictions too. And I'm going to invite you to do the same thing that I do. Surrender them to Jesus. Because he's our identity. And you know what he said? He said, there's two things I want you to hold on to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if we label people, we dismiss them. Define them as enemies. Treat them as such. And it's really hard to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ through the love of his people and the power of his truth when you hate them. When you dismiss them when they're unimportant to you. So how do you identify people? Because it's easy to love people when you know that you have been accepted by God and his love and his kingdom and his truth define who you are. So what defines you? Is your identity in Christ alone? Because if you want to find freedom, he is the only path forward.